Come on, what's going on, family? Are you good this morning? My name is Pastor Ben, and I'm on staff here. It's an honor to preach today. It's an honor to get to share the word. But first, uh, maybe you're new to Go Church. I want to say welcome. Thanks for jumping in on a holiday weekend and hanging out with us. I want to look at the cameras in the back of the room and say a great hello to our West Side Atlanta and Germantown campus. Come on, can you give it up and let them know you love them? We're one church in several locations. Even our online audience is glad to have you with us today. And uh, I always love to get to stand in this pulpit, but I stand in this pulpit because of the grace and favor of our incredible lead pastors, JC and Kimberly Worley. I want you to know that I love them, I appreciate them, and Pastor, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share what God put on my heart. One of the traditions of this house uh, every week is to honor the brave men and women of our military and all of our people who are first responders right now. Can you give them some love this morning and let them know how much you appreciate them? Come on. Love it. Thank you for your sacrifice. And I get to stand here today because you work so hard and dedicate your life. And so it's a privilege to get to do that. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know what you came expecting today, but I'm ready to preach up in here today. I don't, it might be Labor Day weekend, but this old man ain't, ain't mailing nothing in today. I ain't, I'm ready to go. And uh, I want to preach just on this thought today on the other side. I want to talk about it on the other side. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Today we're going we're gonna to read a little bit and uh, we're going to read a story that you may have never even read in all of scripture, but it contains some of the most powerful phrases, I think, in all of scripture. And it's a true example of what to do in the middle of a time when you don't know what to do. And so I'm so thankful that the word every day gives light into everything that we do. And I consider it a privilege and an honor to preach the word. But how about this? Before we start reading, how about I pray for you and you pray for me. Does that sound good this morning? Does that sound good this morning? Are we good? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray today that you would open the ears and the minds and the hearts of every single person in this room. Lord, I pray that this word you've, you've nestled in my heart over the last few months. God, one, I'm stepping into in a path and just believing for. Lord, I pray that it would come true today. Lord, that it would come out the way that you wanted it to. And Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be so evident in the words that I preach that the attention would not be on me. But Lord, like David says, let us magnify the Lord. Lord, let us exalt his name together. And so today, Lord, we magnify you through the preaching of the word. We love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. First Samuel chapter 30. We're going to pick up in verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 20. But we're going to break this story up. I love uh, stories, I love the movies, and I feel like the Old Testament is one big movie, so let's go right here. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, they had attacked Ziklag and they had burned it. And they had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They had none of them, but carried them off and they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, by the way, this is where they live. They found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to live. In fact, David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal. But David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. I want to stop right there for a second before we keep going. Can you imagine uh, this scene? David is actually off in battle with all of his men. 
he's not at home. While he's not at home, there's no one to protect the house. And all of a sudden, the Amalekite army comes in. And not only do they burn the entire village, burn everything down to the ground, but they take their wives, they take their children, they take their cats, dogs, livestock, they take everything. David arrives and all of his men come back from victory and they walk into a place where it's supposed to be home and supposed to be restful and they come in and they walk right in to crisis, right in to this travesty and the immediate emotion, emotion obviously is one you and I would have and that is extreme sorrow. Sorrow, loss, pain, nobody knows what to do. In fact, David's men are even trying to, are talking about killing him because he drugged them away from their home and because they were gone, all this stuff happened. And so David and his men arrive, they see all this and you know, I got to thinking about this today. I'm not so sure what I would do as a dad if my family uh, was kidnapped. I mean, I, I know exactly, like, I would go Liam Neeson and go try and find him, like, obviously. But I'm not sure, like, the emotions that would go through my heart because I remember a time when the twins were just born. They were still kind of in the hospital, and we registered Judah for daycare for the first time. And I remember dropping Judah off at daycare uh, and driving away. And I'm not, like, an overly emotional person, but just, like, crying because I just crying. I don't know how I would react if somebody kidnapped my kids. I paid these people to take my kids and I cried. So I'm not sure how emotional I would get if somebody stole my whole family. But man, this is where they are. This is where they are in this time and in this season. And you almost cannot fault David's men for being so upset at him that they want to take his life and take him out. But you can add that whole feeling of they might kill me, everything's gone, I don't know where my wife and kids are, I don't know what, what's happening in this whole experience. You can add that and just stack that up to what David's feeling in this moment. And, and that brings me to just my first point of the day, and that's this. Just because you're holy doesn't mean life won't be hard, okay? Just because you're holy, just because you rolled up into church this morning doesn't mean that life won't be hard uh, on the way home. I, I, last week I was in charge of the kids and it was a long day here uh, on Sunday and I remember getting them in the van and I was like if I can just make it to McDonald's it's going to be okay and uh, in front of me was somebody from church and they pulled over and parked and ate and I parked next to them I'm trying to get my kids fed and they are laughing at me like it is wild crazy like just because you love Jesus doesn't mean sickness won't ever enter your life doesn't mean that your family won't ever be distraught it doesn't mean you'll never have difficulty of any kind but how you handle that difficulty says a lot about where you put your faith in fact it's Jesus who says he, he tells you and I in John 16 uh, take heart, I've overcome this world. In life, you're going to have problems. Jesus just says it right off the bat. And the difference between a believer and a non-believer is not crisis, but how they handle the crisis and how they handle what's going on in their life. And here you have David, who the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. And in the middle of being God's favorite, he's still walking through the hardest trial that any of us could ever imagine. You lose everything that you own. And you lose your entire family that you love and care for deeply. All while you are off doing what the Lord had asked you to do. That's what makes this difficult. Is, is David was in a battle for the Lord just a little bit ago. And he comes home and you'd think that when he got home everything would be smooth sailing. But clearly by this story it's not. So, so let's keep reading here uh, and picking up in verse 6. But David found strength in the Lord his God. 
This is one of two, I'd say, of the best phrases in this entire passage. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Verse 7, then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Look at the Lord's response. He says, pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. But David found strength in the Lord. Let me ask you this question today. Like, in times of crisis, what do you do? In times of crisis, like, do you have, like, this pattern? Let's just say, man, life problem. Life's, you having a hard day. Do you call, like, your mama and them? Or do you have, like, a best friend that you call? Or do you, do you immediately just sink into yourself and I'm going to fix this? And I, let's just be honest for a minute. Like, when life gets hard, what is your first go-to? Who is your first go-to? Are you a half-empty or a half-full person? Are you a hopeless person in the times of trial? Because hear me, if you're not careful, you will buy what the devil is trying to sell your mind. If you're not careful, you'll buy right into this lie that whatever you're experiencing, this is it. There's nothing better. There's no hope. There's nothing beyond the life that you've created. There's nothing beyond the situation that you're in. The diagnosis is for sure. The situation is for sure. The relationship is for sure. Like it's all over and it's all done. That's what the enemy tries to put in our mind. But how do you respond when he puts that in your mind and in your heart? David, David encouraged himself in the Lord. David found strength in the Lord. And if you don't get anything else from this, this entire message, I want you to write this thought down right here. In times of crisis, God needs to be the first option and not the last resort. In times of crisis, God needs to be the first option, not the last resort. Maybe you're, maybe you're like many people in this world, and, and you treat God kind of like you treat your giving. Like, it's like a pie, if you will. And God, you pay all of your bills, and you do all this stuff, and God gets that last little piece that you got left. Instead of getting the first piece right off the bat. And sometimes that's how we look. And that's, uh, this isn't a message on giving, but that's the illustration that comes to my mind. Is God this first response? Is he's the first one you go to? Is he's the first thing that you think of? In the middle of whatever you're going through, big or small. Sometimes I think we reserve this God as our first option for like incredible crisis in our life. Like we're going to go to God when we get a bad health diagnosis, but we're not going to go to God when we have like a bad day. But God is a God who loves you and cares for you and cares about every little aspect of who you are. And God wants to know when you're having a bad day. And God wants to hear when you're worried about a diagnosis. And God wants to hear when you're just hoping to get home with a little bit of sanity today. Like God wants to hear those things. God cares about those things. And hear me, I know that you're strong. I know you're smart. But let's just be real, you give yourself too much credit sometimes. Like we all do. Like I, if anybody, like you could just say like your life's been, it's been pretty hard. Like you could just raise your hand. Anybody willing to admit that? Nobody. But listen, y'all thinking that when you get home, so don't act like you don't know. Like life has been, life in the Warwick household has been challenging. Listen, from birth, I've, I've been battling all sorts of stuff. And the problem with living a life where you face challenge after challenge and you've overcome, sometimes you forget the reason why you overcame was not because you were good at what you were doing, but because you had a good God who you were serving. And we get in this moment, like we get in this moment, like crisis comes and the first thing we're trying to do is how am I going to fix it? How am I going to work it out? How am I going to do these things? Let me just get my life in order. Let me get these things in order. And we rely so much on ourselves that we forget what was the real source 
of every victory and every battle we've ever walked in in our entire life. Like life, life is, life is hard, but when, when the difficulties of life are more than you expected, you need the Lord who exceeds all expectations. Like that's who you got to lean into. When life, life is, well, I got way more than I bargained for today. You need to trust in the fact that God exceeds any expectation that you may have in your life of, of how things are going to work out and how things are going to go. He's a God of more than enough. He's a God who always shows up. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He gives promises over us that we are the head and not the tail, that we are above and not beneath. And sometimes you need to a good reminder of the fact that God is higher than every problem that you have. God is higher, he's bigger, he's above all those other things. I know you're strong and I know you're smart, but let me tell you what, the Lord is far above anything that you could ever do and ever hope to be. What's interesting is David, he puts on, like he puts on this ephod, and it's the outer garment that the priest would wear when they perform a sacrifice. It's, it's like a holy, almost cloak, if you will. And he takes this on, and, it, and it's what the priest would wear in the temple in the place of worship. And David goes, and he finds a moment between him and God. He puts on this garment, and he goes and sets aside. I can imagine David's 600 men who've been crying and weeping. In fact, the word says that they cried so much they had no tears left. They've been crying and weeping. They want to kill David. And yet David, with tears on his own face, because his family's gone... He goes in a moment and he steps to the side. He puts on a garment of worship and he just begins to inquire of the Lord. He begins to pray and ask God to intervene in his life. To come in and show him wisdom in this situation like life. life. And in this moment you see David as the leader. He can't allow hopelessness and despair and depression to take over his mind. Too much is riding on his response he must connect with the Lord. That's his thought. I must connect with God so that he can find strength to continue on. He puts himself in both a place and a position, like in a posture of worship before the Lord. And in a posture where he can hear from God and get his mind clear. I wonder how many of us in moments when, when life is in crisis, we're quick to find a place and a position and a posture where we can hear from the Lord. I wonder how many of us go to a, our own closet and pray, or we just get in the car and we just get some time with the Lord, or how many of us get in a posture and position where we're over here like a coach or a conductor trying to direct God of where he needs to send his team and his money and his provision and his healing next. And if you're not careful, you find yourself trying to steer this world for the Lord as if he needs our help to begin with. And, 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 and God isn't the co-pilot, God's the pilot, right? God is in control, he's in, he's in charge. And so David, understanding this moment and understanding that he's in such a crisis right now, he can never handle it on his own. And so what does he do? He finds a place to pray, he finds a place to align his heart, he finds a place to, to get connected with God and focus in on God. And so let me ask you this question, when you're in the thick of it, what's your posture like? What's your position like? Maybe today you're in the middle of, of just crisis. Maybe today life's never been harder than it is in this moment. Are you a half full person in this moment or are you a half empty person in this moment? Are you, are you expectant and believing that God is going to somehow intervene and come in on your behalf? Or are you, are you in that camp that's just like God has forgotten me. God is gone. God doesn't care about me. I am worthless. I am out here on my own. In and David, he takes time 
to worship and seek the Lord. And I go back to times in my life when, especially as a young child, when I was too sick to really even understand what was going on with my body, I just remember my parents just worshiping. Like finding a position where they're going to take time to pray and lift their hands to the Lord. And let me tell you what, you could hear my parents worship. My mom was a singer. My dad is a diehard prayer. He likes to sing, but he hasn't got a good voice. And I know that you're watching. Uh, like, like, we grew up just praising the Lord anyhow. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, well, like people of faith, like, you just get to a point where you're like, God's done too much for me to forget about him, and I'm just going to lean into him. And David, David is in that. But, man, there's some people that will look down on you when, in the middle of crisis, you choose to be joyful. And you choose to have the right mind. In fact, David, David's inquiring of the Lord. It's not a denial of the circumstance. It's not. It's, it's, it's an understanding. It's an admission that in order to fix this, he could not do it alone. David, David's not denying that his wife or kids are gone. He's not forgetting about them. He's not being lazy. David is, is realizing this is a bigger task than anything that I could ever accomplish or do on my own. And so where am I going to go to? I'm going to run to where my help comes from because my help comes from the Lord. What's interesting is David, even after this crisis, he goes on to write a ton of psalms, including things like, I was young, but now I'm old, but never have I seen the righteous forsaken. That means David is writing that psalm, believing this right here, remembering this moment, knowing God isn't going to forsake me. That even when my kids and stuff were gone, God, God didn't forsake me, and God didn't walk away from me. To the lone ranger in the room, to the self-reliant, self-sufficient, know-it-all, do-it-all, entrepreneur, whatever you want to put in the blank, Despite how strong you may consider yourself to be, there's going to come a time where all you have left is the Lord. And let me tell you what, as, a, as somebody who's been through a journey, and I know some saints in the room can attest, if you have the Lord, you have all you need. Sometimes Jesus is all you need. Sometimes his name, like we sang today, is all the name that you need to pray over your kids when they're acting a fool. Sometimes Jesus is the only thing you can speak over your finances, and Jesus is the only thing you can say as you walk into a doctor's office, knowing that it might not be the outcome you want. Jesus is all you got left. Good, good, good news. He's just exactly what you needed. And so David, I find it weird, David asks this question, he goes, okay, Lord, like, should I chase after them? And you and I, when we read that phrase, it's like, duh, like, that's your kids, you know, and that seems like a duh question, but notice that none of the other dads were running after their kids and their family. Everybody in this moment is just losing it. Like they're losing it. They don't know what to do or where to go. All the other dads, all the other husbands, they're not moving. They're not doing anything. But David, he, he asks the Lord, Lord, what is it? Do you want me to chase them, Lord? Do you want me to go after it, Lord? Do you want me to follow after them? And the Lord's response is pursue them. Pursue them. To the Davids in the room, you know, what is, God, what is God asking you to pursue that no one else will? To someone who's in a crossroads in your life, and you feel like you're the only one chasing after this thing that the Lord's put in front of you. What is God asking you to do that no one else will? Because we always love a journey when there's a crowd that can go with us. But what are we going to do when it's just us and the Lord walking this faith path? What are we going to do when it's just us and the Lord walking this journey? Are you going to quit? Are you going to pursue? Are you going to keep going? I want to keep reading, so let's pick up right in verse 9. Story starting to get real good. Now David and the 600 men with him came to the Basor Valley where some of them stayed behind. 
200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued in pursuit. They found an Egyptian in the field, and they brought him to David. They gave him water and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten food or drank any water in three days. Somebody say three days. That's important. Three days and three nights. David asked him, who do you belong and where do you come from? He says, I am an Egyptian, the slave of the Amalekites. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Carathites and some of the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag. And David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? Look at his response and continuing in verse 15. He says, he answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me. But you will hand me or hand me over to my master and you will take and I will take you to them. I will take you to them. They get out of the valley. They get down to the valley, right? 200 of them quit. 200 of them, they're so exhausted. And what you, what you may not realize is they've not only gone the 30 miles from Ziklag to Basor Valley, but the day before that they had run from Jezreel. They already have logged over 100 miles in like the last 48 hours, 50 hours. And they just get to this point in the valley where they just cannot go and cannot do anymore. They were so exhausted. They were exhausted, and so what happened? Some of them quit. Let me tell you one of the hardest truths and facts about pursuing the things of God that I've come to realize is this. Not everyone can go where God is calling you. Not everyone can go where God is taking you in your faith journey and taking you in this ministry world and taking you on the journey of your career and some of the people who are with you in some way, doesn't mean that they're bad or that they're wrong. But God, in every season of your life, positions people to help you along the way. But it's not always the same people who move with you fluidly through all of life. For those who are tired in the room, you're in the middle of your ziklag and your battle. What are you going to do when you feel like you're at the end of your rope? What are you going to do when you feel like, I have run so far, I just can't run any longer. You got to realize something. David, he still doesn't know how big the army is that he's chasing. He knows one thing. The Amalekites burned his village and took all of his family. He doesn't know if it's 20 of them, 2,000 of them, 3,000 of them. He doesn't know. And now, not only does he not have his 600 men, he's now down to 400 men, and everybody is overly exhausted at this point, and David doesn't know. But all David had in his life and all he had in this moment was going back to a few verses where the Lord said, pursue them, you will take them, and you will win. Like all he had was the word of God in his life. And if you keep serving God long enough and you put your faith with him long enough, you get to a point where all you really need from God is one word. Like life, it can, the situation can get even worse, but you know God promised you something. And if God promised you something, God's not going to walk away from it. He's not going to walk away from what he spoke over you and spoke over your life and spoke over your children. God is a God who fulfills every promise. And David and his men, all they had was the word of God that was spoken to them to chase after this enemy, hoping that they would win and hoping that they would take back. They don't even know if their kids are alive or their family's alive. And what happens, they get to the point where they just keep going and going and they run across an Egyptian slave in the field. He's on the verge of death. He hasn't eaten or drank anything in three days. And what do they do? They, they immediately give him some food. They try to revive him. And David asks this question. He says, hey, hey, where do you come from? And lo and behold, this guy, he says, I'm a prisoner of the Amalekites. We just raided Ziklag. 
and then they left me here three days ago. So let's put what we know together real fast, okay? David gets the Ziklag, it's burned, it's gone, right? He pursues them. For three, he inquires of the Lord. He pursues them for three days. And three days later, he finds this guy in the field who three days ago got left in the field by his master. So while they were on the way to fight the enemy that they hadn't found, whose strength they didn't know, they run across the greatest source of inside information that they could have ever found. They got the answers to the test mid-test, right in the middle of everything they needed. And in, here's what I want you down. In the, write this down. In the middle of the crisis, God provided an inside source. And I feel like I'm reminding somebody today, you're in the middle of a crisis, but man, there's an inside source waiting ahead. Notice the time. It was three days. Three days he laid in that field. Three days he was without food and water. And three days before. So right about the time David chose to inquire of the Lord and chase after what God told him to do. God provided a resource, an indispensable resource in a field for him already there. It was waiting on him when he got there. And I'm trying to remind somebody what you're waiting on, what you're worried about. It's on the way. If you just take a step, if you'll just keep going. The provision for David came when he chose to act. And I felt this in my preparation this morning for somebody who's in a battle. And that's this, that while you're worrying, God is working. That while you've been worried about everything that you got going on and how you're going to make it in this next season of your life, how you're going to pay your bills and where you're going to find that person in your life that you desperately need, while you've been worrying about it, God has been working it out. And not only has he been working, but he's been working in your favor. Can I get an amen from somebody in the room? He's a good God, and he's a God who cares, and he was waiting on David to take that step and to walk that way and to move forward in that direction. God's been working in our favor. Every prayer and every hope you've got in life, every tear you've cried, God has heard everything. And God is a good God. He wants to give us the desires of our heart as long as they align up with his will. God, man, before you even worried about it, God knew about it. And he's waiting to see if you would just yield to him, and you would just surrender to him, and you would just give it over to him. I, I, I'll share something. That I made a promise to the Lord uh, like a month and a half ago, and uh, about a month ago. We have just, man, like life's expensive for everybody. In fact, the last year we spent four grand on our air conditioning system, and uh, it still didn't work right. But I was like, Lord, um, I just said, I don't want to take any other money out of the savings, Lord. I want to set, I want to block that off, Lord, and I just, I just need this air conditioner to work. So I uh, waited and, and kind of just kept going the same. Our poor little girl's room was like 81 degrees at night, our twins, and they're less like sweating. And uh, so I call somebody at our church who's a phenomenal man of God and uh, owns an AC company, and he came, and through his gracious kindness, man, he fixed that air condition. And not only did he fix the air condition, but he gave me a massive discount. And I remember when the bill came, the first thing that came to my mind was the devil. Because that's what he does. He operates in your mind before he operates in your life. And he says, all right, now you said you won't go get that out of savings. And I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> and so, like, about, about 10 hours goes by and I'm stressing. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I, the word of the Lord uh, says that we're overcomers by the word of our testimony. So I'm not sure to scare, uh, share a little bit about how the Lord works. I got to work that day and there's this random letter, okay. And it is postmarked Greensboro, North Carolina. So Sanford, North Carolina. The first church we ever worked at was in Sanford. We, I, I got hired before we even got married. We were young. We were dumb. We made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I open up that envelope, and there's a post-it note in there, and it said, I'm just following the lead of the Holy Spirit, very anonymous. And inside was a cashier's check 
for the exact amount of what I was charged. But here's this, here's this. It got mailed the day the AC man came to my house. And I want to tell you something, that if you'll just lay little things like that and big things before the Lord, and you'll trust and you say, God, I need you to provide. God, I'm staying committed to you. I'm staying committed to what you got. God not only will show up one time, God will show up over and over and over again. I believe this with all of my heart. God can do anything in this world, but sometimes God's waiting on you and I to make a move. Like he, he, he's waiting on you and I to make a move. And while God is this God of the behind the scenes, and he's a God who works in places you can't see, God's not the God who wants to be the main character of every single scene. Sometimes he wants you to get out there and do a little work and do a little acting and do a little stuff. Like finding what I find in America is we want a God, right? And we want a boss, and we want parents, and we want people in our life that will only say yes and will handle every situation for us. Like we get a flat tire, we're going to call our dad because he's going to drive over here and do it. And if we are in financial crisis because we put $10,000 on a credit card, we're going to call mom and dad and hope that they bail us out. Like we, 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 we get in this mode that there's always somebody who's going to come along and just wipe this away from me. But let me tell you what, sometimes you got to work. Sometimes you got to pray. Sometimes you've got to get before, sometimes you've got to step forward and, and, and go after the thing that God has for you on your own. It's part of faith. Faith is built that way. Faith is built on circumstance after circumstance of where I didn't know what to do. I leaned into what God said, and God proved and provided to be faithful. And David, David, he, 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 he does what no one, no, none of us would ever do. And let's just be real. In that crisis, we wouldn't stop. We would... Uh, us dads, we would chase after our family, but David, man, he just inquires of the Lord. And, and I want you to write this down. While, while David didn't find God's behind-the-scene provision, he found it when he acted and when he went after his instructions. I can't help but think of what heaven has locked up for you and me that's just waiting on you and I to move. I can't imagine what ministry is locked up in this room waiting on one of you to step out and do it. I can't imagine what kind of financial freedom is going to bounce through generations of your household because you chose to step out and stop putting everything on a credit card. Like, I, I don't know what's locked up in heaven waiting on you and I to just be obedient to whatever God has for us and move forward with what God has for us. Listen, to what God is saying in your life about relationships and his word and your, and your finances and, and your walk with him, you've got to listen to God and listen to what he has for you and what he wants to say to you and where God's trying to lead you and if you're anything like me I try to tell God where I got where I want to go and I try to tell him how he should act and how he should move and I try to tell God what's next in my life but I always end up stopping finally shutting up and listening and then finding the solution right then and there so let's keep reading and I'm gonna wrap I'm gonna kind of wrap this thing up Joseph can make his way out I'll, I'll get a little bit more but let's jump here verse 16 he led David down and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. David recovered everything from the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. And nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything that had taken David brought everything back verse 20 he took all the flocks herds and all of his men he drove them ahead to the other livestock 
and said, they said, this is David's plunder. This is David's plunder. I want you to know, man, David, David recovered it all. David recovered it all. And if David recovered it all, you can recover it all. If you just lean into the Lord, I want you to know something. Nothing was missing. Everything came back. Not only did they get back what the enemy had taken from them, but they got all the enemy's personal merchandise too and brought it back with them too. They not only, this didn't even set them back, man. This set David's whole family up with a ton of money and a ton of livestock. And in this situation, it goes from worst possible scenario to best possible scenario in a blink of an eye. And that's why you can't give up on the Lord because in a blink of an eye, he can turn it, he can work it on the other side of whatever it is you're facing man God's there his provisions there what he wants to do for you is there but you can't quit right now in this valley in this dip you've got to keep pressing on and you got to keep going on and if that wasn't enough David and his men I want you to know they put such a whooping on these guys they beat the enemy so bad that the Amalekites don't even bother Israel for 300 years that's how bad they beat them up and that's this is what I know is at stake there is so much more at stake with the battle than you're facing than you realize. David in this one moment not only secures peace for himself, but for his children and their children's children and his great-grandchildren with this whole army. They don't even bother them anymore because David's cho- his choice in that moment to have faith and stick with what God had told him he would do, that he would pursue them and that he would overtake them and that he would recover all that he had left. I'm telling you, on the other side, there's a lot more than you expect on the other side there's there's a lot more than you think on the other side of everything that you're battling there's so much more to what God has laid up for us the problem though the faith comes is you can't see that but you've got to trust it you can't see it but you've got to trust it you can't see what's going to be like with the diagnosis, but you have to trust that God is, God is a provider and his favors on your life. You can't see all these different things going on, but if you would just lean into the fact that God is with you. On the other side, I want you to know there's something on the other side. There's something on the other side. Every, think back right now to every battle you've ever had to fight. And this moment where you're sitting right now is that other side. And if you could go back and tell the you who is in the young you, the, the, the less faith you, the young in, young in your beliefs with the Lord you, if you could go back and say to them something, what would you say to them in this moment? I know what I would say to my old self, press on. Press on. Don't you quit. Because on the other side, man, God's got it locked up for you. On the other side, God's already making a way. I think back to Joshua and Caleb after they wanted to go in the promised land and no one else did. They trusted God and and they wandered for 40 years through the wilderness. But when 40 years was up, they walked in to the other side of the Jordan. They walked into the promise that they had for them. I, I think about Abraham and Isaac. And he has this son who God promised him. And then God says, hey, sacrifice your son. And Abraham has to walk his son up the mountain to sacrifice and his whole time, he's wondering, God, you better, you better show up. You better come back. In fact, he tells the servants, he says, we, me and Isaac, we're going to come back. As he's on his way to sacrifice his son to the Lord. But what, David did, what Abraham didn't know was that while he was walking up one side of the mountain, God was walking a ram up the other side. And God was testing him to see how committed he'd be that even at the top of the mountain, even at the peak of the most stressful part of that whole situation, is he going to commit and follow through with what he promised God and what God asked him to do? 
And if he does, man, God, and we all know that he does, and man, God provides a ram in the bush. I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you could just trust God a little bit longer, if you could just trust God that there's another side, you'd find out that there is much more ahead than there is behind. I believe this, that our best days are ahead of us, that the best days of Goat Church, the best days of your family, the best days of your family, anybody willing to claim that today, that your life is best is ahead, that as long as there's breath in my lungs, I will walk towards his promise, I will walk towards victory, I will walk towards everything that he has. For those of you that have sons and daughters far from him, I encourage you, keep praying and keep trusting that though you've raised them in the word, they're gonna come on back around to what God has for you. I believe the best is ahead and whatever you're facing today man there's hope on the other side there's hope on the other side and i've just gotten to a point in my life and i've gotten to a point in my ministry where in the middle of all this stuff man in the middle of everything that may go wrong and the craziness of our life and the craziness of our schedule i'm just gonna sit back and i'm gonna thank god anyhow and i'm gonna praise him in advance because I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna fall victim to what the enemy is trying to place in my mind and that is doubt and forgetfulness. One of the most helpful things you can ever do for yourself, I'm telling you, is to get a simple composition journal and in it, only write these things. Only write when God shows up. Only write when you have good days, when someone pays it forward, when God pays your AC bill, when God shows up and puts healing in your body, when you, when you mend a broken relationship. And I want you to keep that somewhere. Don't ever write anything bad in it. Don't ever write anything mediocre in it. And every time the enemy comes into your mind and he tells you that it won't work and that this is it and this is everything you have to look forward, you can go back over and just remind the devil of all the other times his lies didn't work and everything he tried to plant in your mind was proof false. You need to set your heart and your mind in a place where you can remember all the good things that God's done in your life. I love that David talked about uh, today, he talked about magnifying the Lord. I just thought about that as he was talking. Man, we magnify the Lord for a reason. Because if you magnify your problems, all you have is your problems. But if you magnify the Lord, you'd be reminded, man, that God is so much bigger. He exceeds my expectations of what he can be. So on the other side, I want you to remember these three things today, just to recap. Just because you're holy doesn't mean life won't be hard. That in times of crisis, God needs to be the first option and not the last resort. And then the third thing, man, while you're worrying God, he has been working it out in your favor. God's been working for you. God wants you to be healed just as much as you want to be. And what I read, when I read stories like this and I see people pray like these wild things to God and God shows up. I'm reminded that God, he's not a respecter of person, persons. And he loved David a whole lot, but God loves me a whole lot. He sent his son to die for me. And if you'll do that for David, I want you to know he'll do it for me and he'll do it for you. Right where you are. Right in the middle of your situation, whatever you've got going on. And I'm going to leave you with this thought as we close today. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? What's God been trying to just ring out in your heart today? Is he trying to just squeeze out all that doubt, all that strife, all that drama? Is he trying to make a way for his provision to come? And then what next steps do you need to take? Is this your chance to step into what God has for you? Is this your chance to just quit doing it on your own? Or maybe today, maybe today you need to give your heart to Jesus. No better decision than you could ever make than that. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed. In fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity today with no one looking around. That's you in here today. And you can say, Pastor Ben, I've, I'm so far from the Lord. In fact, I, I don't know if I died today that I would be in heaven with him. And I know that God's calling me today to surrender my heart to Jesus and make him my Lord and Savior. If that's you today, I just want you to lift your hand because I want to pray over you today. I believe this is an opportunity. Thank you, young man. Thank you, young man. You see that hand? Anyone else? Here's what I want to do. For those of you that raised your hand, we're going to pray this prayer out loud, but as one big family to show you how much we love your decision and support in what you're doing, we're going to pray this prayer of repentance together. So can you repeat after me? Say, dear Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I know you died on the cross and you rose again just for me. Come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and make me whole. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can you give it up for the two people that gave their heart to Jesus today? Anybody in here just brave enough to say, man, I'm battling it out right now, and I just want you to pray for me. Anybody? Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all look around this room. Y'all, y'all. Don't let the devil tell you one time that you're alone. There's people all over this world battling stuff out. But what I love about God is he's not only in my house, but he's in your house. And I'm going to pray right now that God's going to provide for you whatever it needs. By an act of faith, if you've got a need in your life, I want you to keep your hand up. I'm going to pray over you. Lord, whatever the needs are in the house. God, whatever it is going on, I just speak right now, God, your anointing and your favor and your power over them. Lord, I, I, I know through personal experience, God, you have shown up time after time after time. It hasn't always been when I asked or when I wanted, but Lord, it was right on time. And so, Lord, today I pray for provision to happen where it needs to happen. Lord, I pray for healing and broken relationships. Lord, I pray for anxiety and depression and the distraction of that to be removed off the people of God in Jesus' name. God, we declare that you are holy. God, we declare that you are righteous. God, we declare that you are all right with us. And, Lord, we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do. God, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our life, God. And, Lord, I pray in the moment of victory. God, when we get to the other side, we would never take credit for what has happened but Lord we would give you the honor and the glory that's due your name God we love you and we praise you in Jesus name in Jesus name would you just lift your hands and worship with our team as we keep going come on can you give God some praise and worship